This is Sunrise, the who, what, when, where, why, and WTF of Florida politics. I'm Craig Kopp, reporting the Surgeon General's second committee confirmation hearing even got into fashion. Um, In the photos, you were wearing the lab coat of American frontline doctors. Why would you wear the coat if you don't know what the organization does, or why would you speak with them if you don't know what they do? You're recognized to respond. Thank you, Senator, for your question. You know, again, I think this may be getting a little bit uh, nuanced, but, you know, if the question is, well, what does the organization do? Well, I do know some of the things that the organization does. Do I feel qualified to describe what the organization stands for and their positions on a variety of issues? Absolutely not. Democrats had so many questions for Joseph Latipo that the Senate Ethics and Elections Committee hearing was split into two sessions. Florida Governor Ron DeSantis talks gender ideology when it comes to bills about what can be talked about in schools. I do think you've seen instances in which kids are encouraged to be, um, you know, doing stuff with like a gender ideology. And talk about an affordable housing issue. A two bedroom, two bath Florida home built in the 30s is listed for two and a half million. We'll tell you why. But first, Surgeon General Joseph Latipo had his second and last committee confirmation hearing before the Senate Ethics and Elections Committee. In his previous hearing, Democrats walked out saying he wasn't answering their questions. No walkout this time, but still plenty of questions from Democrats who still appeared frustrated with the answers they were getting. Senator Tina Polsky wanted to know about Latipo's appearance on the steps of the Supreme Court with a group of doctors pushing COVID treatments that were not approved. Can you describe the organization American Frontline Doctors? You're recognized to respond. I, I cannot do that accurately. I think, you know, we could probably Google to find detailed information to, to describe the organization. Do you have another question? You're recognized. I do. Did you speak with the American frontline doctors on the steps of the Supreme Court, I believe, in Washington, D.C., in July 2020? You're recognized to respond. Thank you, Chair. There are members of that organization. I I are my colleagues, my friends, and I did speak at the Supreme Court on the day that you mentioned you recognize for another question? Thank you. Um, in the photos, you were wearing the lab coat of American frontline doctors. Why would you wear the coat if you don't know what the organization does, or why would you speak with them if you don't know what they do? You're recognized to respond. Thank you, Senator, for your question. You know, I, again, I think this may be getting a little bit uh, nuanced, but, you know, if the question is, well, what does the organization do? Well, I do know some of the things that the organization does. Do I feel qualified to describe what the organization stands for and their positions on a variety of issues? Absolutely not. Do you have another question? I do, because I'm not getting an answer to the question. If you don't know what the organization... Okay, let me phrase it another way. Why would you stand with this organization if you don't know much about them? You're recognized to respond. Thank you, Senator. Um, I didn't say that I did not know much about the organization. I actually do know many things about the organization. I just don't feel qualified to s- serve as a representative and describe the organization. But, uh, but I think you asked something about what some of the ideas that the organization stands for. Mike, is that correct? Yes. Okay. You're recognized to respond to that question. Thank you, Chair. So the, your your question actually captures why 
I stood there that day. And what they stood for um, that, that I supported then and still support now is the importance of recognizing individual autonomy when making public health policy. And that is something that I have been consistently um, supportive of in terms of the importance of rec recognizing and respecting individual preferences and diversity of perspectives and opinions. And unfortunately, that those are principles that have not been favored or supported by... Polsky also looked for clarity on Latipo's position on COVID vaccinations. The CDC recently said that... Uh, boosted Americans are 97 times less likely to die of COVID uh, than those who are unvaccinated. So aside from, it sounds like you're just taking a sort of laissez-faire approach to the booster. If the numbers are so drastic that 97 times less likely to die of COVID, um, why aren't you taking a more proactive approach to the booster and the vaccine in general? You recognize respond, Dr. Latigo. Thank you, Senator. I'm going to try to keep this brief in terms of my explanation without getting too overly technical. I think that one of the things with scientific data and, and taking that scientific data and communicating it to the public is to be as tr transparent as possible. So you'll probably can easily remember when we first, first the, uh, when the vaccines first received EUA approval and there was discussion that breakthroughs were rare. That was kind of the dialogue that was often stated. And then it became plainly obvious that breakthrough infections were in fact not rare. So, and even at that time when those statements were made, there was data that indicated that the protection from infection was waning. So I am familiar with the study that you stated. Additional things to round out the, um, the results of that study include the fact that, in fact, boosters also wane over the time. And, and in fact, that's been demonstrated. So again, I think that the approach that we are emphasizing here in Florida is providing information. The CDC's published that study. That's great. There are other studies that have been published that provide information, for example, about the level of protection from the Omicron variant, from the booster shots, from any of the COVID-19 vaccines. And providing that information is the basis of our strategy rather than taking coercive measures to try and promote a public health goal. Senator Lori Berman switched to health care economics, looking for Latipo's thoughts about Medicaid expansion. Florida has refused to expand Medicaid, and there are approximately 800,000 individuals who don't have health coverage. Would you support expanding Medicaid in the state of Florida? You're recognized to respond. Thank you, Senator. Thank you, Chair, and thank you, Senator, for your question. So, and Senator, I understand that um, I understand your question relates to Medicaid expansion. Um, I also understand that the the position of the governor is is to not expand Medicaid in this state. Um, you know, irrespective of whether Medicaid is or is not expanded, uh, at the Department of Health, we, we support access to treatments for Floridians in our county health departments based on the health services that we provide. And as the leader of the Department of Health, our job is to, um, our job is basically to to implement the bills that our lawmakers pass and our governor signs into law. After a hearing that started in the afternoon, took a break and resumed in the evening, Senator Annette Tadeo summed up the Democrats' feelings about the Latipo nomination. The fact is, for someone that 
studies prevention and the importance of good health and weight, I, I find it interesting that we are not, as a state and as the top doctor, proposing prevention and ways to mitigate the spread of this virus. So I think it's very dangerous to go down this road. I think our state deserves better. And I am very concerned about the message that we are definitely sending to a lot of parents with regards to our kids and the other vaccines and the other things that we have used for so many years to, again, prevent other things from being spread to our kids at the schools. It's a, it's a, it's a really important appointment as a governor to appoint a Surgeon General anytime. But to appoint a Surgeon General at a time when there's extreme polarization in our politics, when there is extreme politicking about the virus, I think we have to be responsible and stick to the preponderance of evidence when it comes to the science and make sure that we listen to the majority of scientists in agreement as to what are the things to do. And that's not what we're doing with this nomination. And for that reason, I will be voting no. As expected, the nomination of Latipo as the state surgeon general was moved forward by the committee. His nomination's next stop is the full Senate. The Criminal Justice and Public Safety Committee has moved along a bill proposed by Republican Representative Randy Maggard that would make picketing and protesting at residences with the intent to harass or disturb a person a crime. Testifying in favor of the bill was Orange County Sheriff John Mia, who dealt with a picketing at the second home of Derek Chauvin, the Minneapolis policeman who was eventually convicted of killing George Floyd. Last summer, I dealt with this specific issue in Windermere in Orange County, uh, where there were about 200 protesters uh, that had targeted a specific residence because uh, of who had lived there. And those 200 protesters were there uh, for about a week uh, to eight days. Uh, the residents there, uh, because of the nature of the protest, were very leery about uh, making any complaints or, or causing any issues, uh, but they were uncomfortable. And I, I went out there myself and talked to them because uh, there was no remedy for their complaints at that time. Um, they couldn't walk their dogs. Uh, they couldn't let their kids ride their bikes because uh, they felt unsafe because of the intimidation uh, that was there. Some people left the neighborhood and stayed in hotel rooms, those who had the means to do that. That's how uncomfortable, intimidating, and harassing the activity was. And then, you know, two weeks ago in, in Orlando, we had neo-Nazis come to protest in our area. It's not out of the realm of possibility that those folks could target a specific residence. And I think we would all agree that no one would want 20 people standing in front of their home wearing swastikas with, with hateful speech. Um, you know, I think as as... You know, more and more people uh, want to express their views and, and protest and rally. Um, you're going to see more of this because many uh, other organizations, they know to get um, 
attention, uh, specifically media attention, there has to be confrontation. And so that's, that's what I'm concerned about is the confrontation uh, that this will cause. I know in my neighborhood, uh, if someone were a group of people were to protest or rally in front of my house, my neighbors are going to come out and, and, and protect me. And that's what I'm, I'm trying uh, to prohibit. And so back to that, that situation I dealt with, uh, there was no remedy for me. Okay, uh, they weren't on the person's private property. They were on the roadway or just on the sidewalk. And you know, a lot of people say, why don't you arrest them for uh, blocking the roadway? Well, as soon as law enforcement comes up, they just step out of the way and let the car or the people go by. And as far as um, getting uh, disturbing the peace or those other uh, issues that you talked about, uh, many folks, although they do not want the picketers uh, and protesters in front of their house, they don't want to get involved. They just want law enforcement to handle that situation. They don't want to put their name on a statement because then the people who are protesting, intimidating, targeting, harassing. Democrat Michael Greco said he wrestled with the idea of making such picketing a crime and decided to come down strong on the First Amendment. I've been known to attract some controversy in my day, and, and I don't want anybody, um, you know, protesting outside my house. But you know what? I think I'm really, really down on this bill. I, I, I thought I was torn on it, but I'm not. And as I sit here and I, and I listen to the description as to how it would be implemented, how it would be applied, it, it's like picking winners and losers on the Constitution. Um, you know, we have folks come in here and they're hardcore Second Amendment, but they don't even know what the Eighth Amendment is. Or they're hardcore on the Fifth Amendment, but I would love to know if they know what the Tenth Amendment is. This is First Amendment. You, it, it, I, I, it's, it's so arbitrary. It is so subjective. They're just going to be arresting everybody. It's, 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 this is a recipe for broad brush disaster. And, you know, it, it's, it's, it's funny that this bill's coming up after the whole legitimate, legitimate political discourse commentary from last week, because it's a fine line, right? What is intimidating to one person may not be intimidating to another. Uh, what is upsetting to one person may not be upsetting to another. Um, I think it sucks that somebody would have somebody screaming and yelling outside their house. Um, but that's, that's, we're, we're, this is America. You know, if, if they're on a, on a public street, there are probably about 50 different things you can be cited for if you're blocking sidewalks, if you're blocking streets. I mean, look, I mean, HB1 alone gives you the right to do almost anything if you're a cop if a bunch of people are standing out there. Um, so I'm, I'm down on this bill. I'll probably be much more articulate if this ever hits the floor. God, I hope it doesn't hit the floor. But, uh, but for now, I'm, I'm, I'm down, not just as the ranking member, but as an American and somebody who respects the Constitution. Thank you, Mr. Chair. The bill was advanced by a vote of 14 to 3. A similar bill in the Senate made it through its second committee hearing. The Senate Ethics and Elections Committee also moved forward today a bill from Sanford Republican Jason Brodeur that would limit citizen initiatives to procedural matters, the structure of government, 
or the Constitution. Currently, any measure can be put forward on a ballot by citizen initiative and voted on and added to the state constitution. This bill attempts to return us to the original intent of the Constitution, where duly elected representatives consider measures to become state law rather than amending the Constitution every time a well-funded special interest doesn't get their way in the legislature. This Constitution is a revered document that provides a blueprint for our government. Uh, This bill attempts to stop the Florida Constitution from becoming the seventh volume of state statute. Such attempts weaken our separation of powers, imperil our liberty, and place our Constitution up for auction to the state's special interests. There have been a number of citizen initiatives on the Florida ballot in recent years, amending the Constitution to deal with issues unpopular in the state legislature. We're talking about everything from legalizing the use of marijuana for medical purposes to raising the minimum wage. And it's true that millions of dollars were poured into political committees backing those initiatives. But Democrats on the committee say the citizen initiative is there for a reason, as a way for citizens to act on popular issues when the legislature won't. Committee Vice Chair Democrat Annette Tadeo filed a late amendment to the resolution to make that point. Uh, This is a simple title amendment to change the title of this amendment (laughs) to lawmakers think they know better than Floridians amendment. (laughs) That is the amendment. Yeah, that didn't pass. But Tadeo had more to say than just that. I understand that we see this bill or similar bills every single year. And I, I just think Tallahassee has a hearing problem because the voters have clearly spoken on so many issues, whether it's uh, restoring voting rights. And we come up here and we say, well, they didn't really mean that. Amendments about protecting our precious lands, amendment about the minimum wage, amendment about restoring, I've already said restoring voting rights. Um, There are so many things that the voters have spoken so clearly about, and yet we come up here and we actually undo them or make it harder and say they didn't really know what they were voting on. And so I am concerned about the lack of ability of voters to be able to send us a strong message on the issues that we're not dealing with up here because the voters would love for us to deal with them up here, but when we don't, then they have to go to the the voters, get the signatures, and then pass the amendments. So I don't think we should make it harder for them to speak, and I think we should listen to, to the voters, and they do know better. I agree with you. The following exchange between Democrat Tina Polsky and sponsor Brodeur gets to the heart of the matter over legislative responsiveness. Now, this gets a little into the weeds a bit, but what's a legislative session without a little civics discussion? I think one of the things that um, we've seen over the last several years is that you get folks who come up here and say we would like something to be passed or not passed. And the legislature, duly elected constitutional officers, maybe don't do that. And so then out of state comes in and they give a a short shrift of um, here's what we're going to do to get something on the ballot. And it's going to be things like, do you like water? Do you like puppies? Do you like all that kind of stuff? And it doesn't have the same kind of vetting process that we have when we're here. Think about this. How, How often do you think a citizen would look at an initiative like this and talk for as long as we have about it? 
Now multiply that times the 4,000 bills we see every session. That is what they have elected us to do, is to dig into all of those issues. That is not something that is the obligation of a citizen in a republic. They have a job that they need to do. They go to work every day, and they elect us to go look at all this stuff to make the right decisions for the community. And every two to four years, depending on what office you're in, they have the opportunity to review whether or not we did a good job based on what they would like. I think there should be a setup of the Constitution, which provides the uh, framework by which we operate, and then we as a legislature make all the decisions that affect the day-to-day -day life, and if they don't like it, then we um, are elected or not re-elected, or if they do like it. Follow-up, Mr. Chair? You're recognized for follow-up. Thank you. The most recent amendments that passed by an overwhelming uh, majority, over 60%, have, and you know which ones, because we've mentioned them already, with all of those subjects of a bill that was proposed by a member of this legislature over the last decade? You're recognized for respond. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. Uh, some, and, and you know, there are 33 that have been passed, so if we can narrow some of them down. One of the ones that gets my attention all the time is pregnant pigs. Like, that's Please the first one, right? And so as we, think about, right, as we think about these things, the, there's two questions. One, is it organization and formation of government? Yeah, then we can still do a citizen's initiative, sure. The other is, is it something we can handle in statute? If it is, probably not qualified to be in, the, in my view, probably not something that we should put in the governing framework document of our state. Uh, last question, Mr. You recognize Chair. Senator Polsky. You mentioned that we have an opportunity to discuss all these important issues that Floridians care about. Obviously, the majority of Floridians care about raising the minimum wage, medical marijuana, uh, funding Florida Forever, classroom size, et cetera. Um, at least in the time that I've been here, and I think prior to that, those issues were not discussed on the floor or even in committee because bills are proposed and not heard. So how is it that we are discussing these issues that are obviously important to over 60% of Floridians? You recognize Mr. Chairman, this brings up an excellent point. Because this is a Senate joint resolution, this is ballot language to go to the voters. So if more than 60% of them agree with this, then that's how. Is that it'll be the citizens who have actually, by a 60% majority, that will have agreed with this. The Senate Ethics and Elections Committee voted 5-4 along party lines to advance the resolution. Governor Ron DeSantis went to Polk County, Bartow to be exact, to announce another $64 million in grant money to shore up infrastructure in areas that can be hit by hurricane damage. And the governor took questions from the press, as usual. One was a follow-up on the discussion of schools advising students on gender identification. The governor had said he heard that was happening. One reporter wanted to know what's a kid to do if their parents don't want to talk about the gender issues they're having. Well, I think that what you've seen, and in, 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 there's been reports in Florida, different parts of the country, is schools keeping parents out of these decisions. And I don't see how you can do that. I, yes, unfortunately, in our society, not every parent does a great job. But to keep parents out and to keep them in the dark, I don't think that that's something, you know, that works very well. I also think one of the things that I think the legislatures are getting at is anything should be age appropriate. And I think some would say even these young kids, you know, elementary school kids, um, I think that's wrong to, to have them being involved with things that aren't age appropriate. And so, you know, I haven't looked at any particulars of anything, uh, but I do think you've seen instances in which kids are encouraged to be um, you know, doing stuff with like a gender ideology. And I, I think the parents really do need to be involved in that. And so that goes to, excuse me, 
So we have had reports where people in schools, um, and I think that's why they're getting at, uh, where people have been, uh, not only the districts, but individual instances um, of where that has been encouraged not to be shared with parents. And so that I think most parents, they want to know what's going on in the schools. They want to make sure that everything is age appropriate. And look, at the end of the day, you know, my, my goal is to uh, educate kids on the subjects math, reading, science, all the things that are so important, um, I don't want the schools to kind of be a playground for ideological disputes or to try to inject. So I think it's just let's get parents involved, let's make sure anything that's discussed is age appropriate, but let's keep the focus on where it needs to be. You know, we need our elementary school kids reading. We need to do better in third grade reading. We need to make sure that our high school kids are prepared to either go in the workforce or, or go to college. And those are the things that I think are, are really, really important. And if uh, if folks are focusing on that, then I think we'll be all right. To the extent it gets it gets off the rail on that and then they start to come into some of these these things that are more political in nature you know that's not really the core mission of what schools need to be doing and the governor when asked about state representative randy fine's idea to punish the dozen school districts that mandated masks by yanking funding the governor said it's important for school districts to follow the law I haven't seen it um, and so you know I'm not sure but look we spoke very clearly in the in the in the summer, with the Parents' Bill of Rights, uh, almost you know most school districts in Florida followed state law, um, and you could see it. I mean, like you know, in, in the Tampa Bay, area, you know, Pinellas had parents' rights. Hillsborough defied the law, and you know, you had no difference in outcomes. And so it was an interesting kind of contrast there. And so our view was they need to do that. Now we are in court battles. We did all this stuff. So finally, and we won those court battles, by the way, um, you know, we'll lose sometimes with these trial judges because, you know, they, they form shop and they know where to go with the case. But then we went on appeal. So we did that. And then the legislature came in and completely uh, put the kibosh on any of the defiance. And so I don't know what they're doing beyond that. But I can tell you, I do think it's important uh, that school districts follow the law, and particularly when it comes to parents' rights. Uh, we want parents to be able to be involved in the kids' schooling. You know, I know it's amazing that in this day and age, that's something that there's not 100% agreement on. But you've got some who say parents really shouldn't be involved in this. You know, it really should be uh, these other institutions. And I think that's totally wrong. So we want the parents involved. And I think I can tell you uh, parents are very happy and, and the kids are happier because we really stood on their side on all these issues. Here's some of what's happening in Florida politics today. The Senate Appropriations Committee will consider a proposed $108.6 billion budget for the 2022-23 fiscal year. The proposal is an important initial step as the Senate gets ready to negotiate a budget with the House for the 2022-23 fiscal year, which starts July 1. The House Appropriations Committee is expected to consider a proposed $105.3 billion budget for the 2022-23 fiscal year. The House will take up a number of issues during a floor session, including a proposal that would extend COVID-19 legal protections for hospitals, nursing homes, and other health care providers. The legal protections were approved during last year's legislative session, but are set to expire March 29th, unless they're extended. The proposal would extend the protections until June 1st, 2023. The protections address lawsuits involving issues like transmission of COVID-19 and treatment of people with COVID-19. The House Ways and Means Committee also meets this morning. 
Also happening today, there's a press conference on Florida's housing emergency this morning featuring Democrats Senator Victor Torres, Representative Carlos Guillermo Smith, and Representative Dottie Joseph. The sponsor of Senate Bill 788, the Hometown Hero Housing Program, Senator Ed Hooper, along with CFO Jimmy Petronas and Florida Realtors President Christina Pappas, will hold a press conference to highlight the need to address the affordable housing crisis and release a data analysis that shows the income gap for many first responders and other hometown heroes. The Florida Supreme Court will hear arguments in three cases, including a challenge to the State Public Service Commission's approval of a Duke Energy Florida solar energy program. The League of United Latin American Citizens of Florida has contended that the program would improperly shift costs and financial risks to the majority of Duke customers who would not participate. The State Board of Education will meet today and talk about issues like critical teacher shortage areas. The Florida Elections Commission will meet this morning. The Florida Commission on Offender Review will meet this morning. And so will the State Reemployment Assistant Appeals Commission. And the U.S. Department of Agriculture is scheduled to release an updated forecast for the 2021-22 citrus growing season today at noon. Charlie Crist will hold a press conference in Miami to unveil his Solar for All initiative and outline his plan for a million solar roofs across Florida. And Florida Agriculture Commissioner and Democratic candidate for Governor Nikki Freed will be in Oakland Park today to meet with black business owners and entrepreneurs. And finally, you can't get away from the fact that the Florida real estate market is on fire. Medium home values in the state have risen nearly 24%. Over the past five years, they've increased 69%. But a two-bedroom, two-bath, 1935 home for $2.5 million? This home in Melbourne was last sold in 2007 for two hundred and twenty-five grand. Well, this isn't just any home. It's the birth home of Doors frontman Jim Morrison, who was born on December 8, 1943. 2100 Vernon Place is where the Lizard King to be was brought home. The listing agent told Florida Today that he thinks the home will go to a super fan of the Doors and Morrison, probably somebody from Hollywood. Or maybe an international buyer will come through with the two and a half mil. You know, of course, Jim Morrison is buried in Paris. This is where I am supposed to insert a hip doors lyric that relates to all this. I'm going with strange days have found us. That's it for today's edition of Sunrise. I'm Craig Kopp. Join us again tomorrow as we do another daily dive into Florida politics.